Then Lavanda and choir, uh, which was awesome this morning. And don't you worry, uh, if we run out of seats in the choir, we'll add some chairs, won't we, Brother Wesley? We'll add them in there. So, choir is sounding good this morning. Well, glad you're here this morning. Uh, glad you're here in God's house this morning. And also, uh, not to overlook those that are watching online, certainly we'll, we'll welcome all of you here and glad you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in the, the book of Acts this morning, chapter 3. Uh, Acts is right after the Gospels, if you're looking for it, but certainly we're going to be in Acts. It was written by Luke. Uh, it's kind of like the, uh, sometimes Acts is can, called one of the Gospels because it's written right behind Luke's. It's like part two of the Gospel of Luke, but Acts has a lot to do with the church and the early church. And so we'll be in Acts 3, and we'll be looking at the first ten verses in Acts 3 when we get to that this morning. Title of the message is something you need. Uh, studying this passage, you know, I always like to to figure out and try to come up with the name that supports what I believe I'm, I'm reading in the scriptures. And this is something that I saw in the scriptures, and it's, it's something you need. And we're going to see that this morning. Over the last several weeks, we spent a significant amount of time talking about our relationship, the relationship that we have with God. We spent a lot of time talking about the relationship we have with Jesus Christ, and then we also talked about how much of a relationship and how important it is to have a relationship with each other, which is the church. And that's where the, the Acts talks a lot about the church and the early church. We've showed the importance of fellowship, the uh, importance of having fellowship with God, having a relationship with him, but having fellowship with God. Also fellowship with Christ, the Son of God, and then having fellowship with each other. They, all three are important. Uh, you can say, well, one's more important than the other, but, but God intended for us to have fellowship with him. He, uh, the purpose we were put here for was to glorify him, but we are to have fellowship with him, with Christ, but also to have fellowship with each other. I've shared with you the importance of growing closer and closer with our Heavenly Father on a daily basis, not just once in a while, not just on Sunday morning, but our objective is we want to be close to Him. We want to be as close as we can to Him. When struggle hits, we want to be as close to Him as we can. And the scripture this morning is going to show where an individual was close, but he wasn't quite there. And then and all of a sudden, he's escorted into the presence of the Father. And that's what we want to know about. We want to talk about. We want to be close to God on a daily basis. Today is our third Sunday. It's casual Sunday. Nobody's wearing a tie this morning, are they? It's tight sometimes about them ties, isn't it? But anyhow, it's casual Sunday. It's a time that's important in this church. You say, well, Carrie, that's just when we eat, right? Well, it is when we eat, but it's a time of fellowship. You think about what we call the fellowship hall. We go into the fellowship hall because we're going to have fellowship with one another. We are going to eat, and it's going to be some good food, and it's going to be some good eating. But we're going to have fellowship with one another. We're going to grow closer to each other. We're going to talk about people, not about people. We'll talk with people. We're going to talk and find out what's going on in your life. I, I slipped on that one, didn't I? <laughs> Woo. We're going to talk about some people that aren't here. Now, that's the ones that are watching online. You know, there's some people that I know are not here but didn't tell me they weren't coming. And so now I'm going to talk about them. I'm not going to call them out because then I'll get in trouble. But the thing is, when we go to fellowship hall and we eat, we have fellowship together, think about what's going on. We're, we're learning about people. We're learning about what's going on in their lives. We learn about how this week has been for a lot of people. It's been difficult for some. Others, it's been very good. Sometimes things, but we're fellowshipping. And when you're fellowshipping, you're growing closer to each other. Amen? 
You learn about people. You want to learn about somebody, you've got to fellowship with them. You've got to invest in them. You've got to listen to them. When people turn their lives over to Jesus Christ and they make him the Lord of their life, he, they become followers of Christ. We call them believers. They become believers. They become part of the church. They're followers of Christ. They make up the church, and a body of believers are supposed to be united together. That's something that's very important. That's something that Jesus stressed a lot. It's about the church, but it's also about the church being united together. Now, let's think about it. A lot of times the church is not united. A lot of times the church might be divided on a particular issue, but we all are individuals, but we should be united together. The primary purpose of the church was to glorify God. That's what he created us for. That's why he created the church. When Jesus talked about the church before he left, when he left, there was a purpose for the church, and it was to glorify the Father. That's what he put us here to do, was to glorify him. But Jesus was very clear that the function of the church was to share the gospel. The purpose of the church is to worship the Father. But the, I mean, the, the, the reason we were here, but the function of the church is to share the gospel. He was very clear when he said to share the gospel with the four corners of the world. He said, go make disciples to all nations, not just in our little area, but he said, go make disciples, share the gospel with them, tell them about what I've done, baptize them, teach them, and, and love on them. Man, that's what he said. That's what ministry is all about, sharing the gospel and love on them. We start right where we are, and we expand our reach as we are capable of doing, as we are able to do. We want to go out beyond what just is our, our limitations. We want to share the gospel. We should make sharing the gospel the focal point of our lives. Now, the reason that we should have a desire to share the gospel is simply because we have something that people need. Amen? That's the title of the message. Something we need. Something people need. We want to share the gospel because we have something that people need. Needs are important. And it goes without saying that we all have needs in our lives. And we all got needs. We all have desires. We all have wants. We all have needs. Now, let me tell you something. God is going to meet every single need that we have. He might not, need, he might not meet every single want that we have. But he's going to meet every single need that we have in our lives. He also, he always meets our needs. Now, there's nothing more important in this life that we live other than having the gospel anchored inside of our life. Other than having Jesus Christ come and live inside of our life. That is the most important thing that we can have in this life. Now, when we receive the gospel that we need and the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, we become children of God and God adopts us into his family. Amen? We are part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. That sounds like a song, doesn't it, Brother Wesley? I'm glad I'm part of the family of God. I can't think of nothing more important than being part of the family of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm about to get excited, okay? It's okay, though, right? Because if you become a believer and your life has changed, doesn't that make you excited? Things that get you excited, all right? We become part of the fellowship of the church, we become body of the believers. This morning, I want us to open up God's Word together to the book of Acts and see how Dr. Luke reveals to us the function of the church. If you are able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, starting in Acts 3, starting in verse 1. It says, starting in verse 1, Luke writes, <clears throat> Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. 
A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering into the temple. But he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple. He asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, talking, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, started to walk, and he entered into the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple, So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had just happened to him. Pray with me. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. In the book of Acts, Luke describes the beginning of the church. This is the early church. This is the first church. And when we look at what makes up the church, the disciples were the beginning of the church. Jesus had spent time with them, three plus years with them, training them, teaching them, showing them what to do, modeling what he wanted them to do. They counted on Jesus the whole time. They watched him. He was the the main focal point. He was the one doing everything. They were the support team. But now Jesus has ascended into heaven and now it's the early church. It's the church time to, to do what Jesus had started and what they're to continue to do. The disciples were the beginning of the church. And we know through our study of scripture that the Bible says that that it was multiplying, that the church was growing in number. It was multiplying. Let me tell you something. The church continues to multiply today. People are coming to know the Lord every day, even though you might say, you might look in, in, in the news, you might say that Christianity is not the fastest growing religion in America. Is that true or not? There's a lot of other things that are growing at a rapid, a more rapid pace. But people are coming to know the Lord each and every day, even today. We see that, and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to continue to function the way the church was supposed to function. When the church functions the way that Jesus intended for it to function, people come to know the Lord, and their lives are what? Changed. That's what makes a difference. This young man and this, this lame beggar is going to have a changed life. When God comes into people's life through the power of the Holy Spirit, when the Lord comes into their life, Jesus Christ comes into life, their life has changed and it's changed forever. So we look at it. It would be safe to say that the function of the church is one of the most important aspects of human life. Even though we have physical needs, even though we have a lot of surgeries that have taken place, even though we have things that have have happened to people's bodies, even though there's struggle in this world, the most important thing is the function of the church is to share the gospel because that is the most important thing that they could come in contact with. Man, my voice get a little raspy, ain't it? Huh? It's okay. I'm going to pull through. I'm going to make it. You with me? All right, get Monica to come up here and finish it for me. In order for the church to function the way Jesus intended for it to function, there has to be unity in the church. 
And we can have our own opinions, but there has to be unity in the church. When we look at it, we're going to look at this a little bit further. There may be differences because we are individuals. We all have different opinions, but there has to be unity in the church. We must be unified and be close to Christ the way he wanted us to do. When you look at John chapter 17, Christ prayed for unity among his disciples. He prayed for unity among all believers. He wanted us all to be unified. He wants to be connected to the way that we need to be connected. He wanted believers to be unified the way that he and the Father were unified, the connection that they had. He wanted us to be connected to the vine as branches. He wants to be drawing nutrient from the vine. He wants to be connected to him through the vine. He wanted constant communication with the Heavenly Father. Man, we need constant communication. Christ had constant communication throughout his life on this earth with exception of the time he was hanging on the cross when he took sin upon his shoulders, my sin and your sins. He was in constant communication. He wants us to have constant communication with God. Let me tell you something. You can have constant communication with the Father because he is always available. Amen? It doesn't matter where you're at or what time it is. You can have constant communication with him. He wants us to have constant fellowship with him. And he wants us to have constant prayer with him. Let me tell you something. That's hard to understand a lot of times. I want to share something with you. Constant prayer doesn't mean praying 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Not necessarily. If you want to, that's fine. But that's not what he's talking about. It means don't hang up the phone when you're on the phone with him. Y'all know what that means? Don't hang up the phone. you got to be over, what, 50 to understand that one? Don't hang up the phone. Younger people have no clue what hanging up a phone is, right? What does it mean to hang up a phone? It means we got the line is open. All right, we don't hang it up. We pick it up. We talk on it. And for young people, here's the thing. Take your cell phone and, and, and you call somebody, don't mash the red end button. That's what it means. It means leave it open because God's there to talk with us. He wants to talk with us. Don't hang up the phone. We want to have a, an open conversation with him. When Christ comes into the heart of a new believer through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, that life has changed, and it's changed forever. I've seen it happen. It gets me excited. You cannot have a genuine encounter with God without changing your life. And your interest changes. Your desires change. Your focus changes. You want to be in God's house. And you want to come to church. You want to be in his word. You want to study his word. You want to be in prayer with him. You want to have fellowship with him. And you want to have fellowship with his people. Amen. With the family of God. You want to be in their house. In our passive scripture this morning, we see that Peter and John gave a paralyzed beggar something that he needed. It wasn't necessarily what he was asking for. It wasn't necessarily what he thought he needed because he did not understand what he truly needed until after he got it. And that's the way lost people are a lot of times. You don't realize you're lost and you don't realize what you need. You know you need something. But you don't truly, honestly realize it up front until after you receive it. This man has a physical need and a spiritual need. And many times all of us do. We all have physical needs. We all have spiritual needs. Even though we may be believers, we still need to grow closer to the Lord. We still have a time that we want to have a spiritual need. We need to grow closer to him. There may be struggle in our life that's putting a strain on what we're dealing with. We all have these same needs. He had a physical need and a spiritual need, and he was begging for anything that would contribute to his physical survival. This man was just trying to make it through the, to the next day because that's what beggars did. They didn't have any other way of gaining anything other than begging people to give them something to get them to, through to the next day. What he needed was something that would contribute to his spiritual life, something that was going to give him an eternal uh, satisfaction. 
He had been placed in front of the temple gate on a daily basis, day after day after day. And you talk about this is a full-grown man. Been placed there. He was lame from birth. And so he'd been placed at the temple gates every single day, begging for something every single day. He had been placed there day after day. And the Bible says, and there's a lot in this scripture. I mean, there's a lot going on. The Bible refers to this particular gate as the beautiful gate. Can you imagine any gate not being beautiful going into the, the temple? But it specifically referred to this particular gate as the beautiful gate. And if you studied, uh, the scholars believe that the beautiful gate was the eastern gate. When you go into the temple, and there's nine gates that entered into the temple. But this one was the, the beautiful gate. This man could be found there begging for anything that he could get just to survive. Now, we go back and you look in Jesus Christ's ministry. When you're reading in the Bible, Jesus went to the, the temple on a regular basis. He encountered many, many beggars on his way. He never missed an opportunity to change somebody's life. He performed miracle after miracle right at the entrance to the temple. And we see that in the gospel. The Bible says he never missed an opportunity to change the life. But let me ask you something, church. God has placed us here for a reason. And that reason is to change the lives of people through sharing the gospel, which is a life-changing message. Amen? That's what he's put us here for. He didn't just put us here to come have lunch or have breakfast. He didn't put us here just to have a place to go on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He put us here for a purpose. There's a lot going on outside of these walls. That's where the, that's where the mission field is. Man, it's, there's a mission field out there, and that's what he's put us here to do. If what the early church did, if the current church continues to do. Now, let's look at it a little further. Peter and John were often found together throughout Scripture. When we look at Peter and John, Peter and John, you think back. Peter and John were fishing together when Jesus called to them and said, hey, follow me. That's where they were together. They were fishing partners. They might have been in separate boats, but they always fished together. They were a team. They were, they were found together. They prepared the last Passover for Jesus Christ. They ran to the tomb on that first Easter morning because they wanted to see what was going on. They heard that it was empty, but they wanted to see. They were together at that same time. They ministered to the Samaritans who believed in Jesus Christ. All these are things that show in the Bible where Peter and John were serving together. And they, they work together now that Christ had ascended to heaven. Things are different now. When Christ ascended to heaven, they're on their own now. They got the power of the Holy Spirit, which is different. They didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit when Christ was here. They had him to show them, to teach them, to comfort them. But now he's not there anymore. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's sent the Holy Spirit, the helper, to help them. And he's inside of their hearts. He's guiding them. He's directing them. He's giving them boldness to talk about what he, that he wants them to talk about. Just like Now, let me tell you something. It's the same Holy Spirit that you have. It's no different. The same one that was given Peter and John all this strength and power to, to heal and to comfort. It's the same one that's inside of each of us. Now that Christ had ascended, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the apostles were no longer competing for greatness. They were no longer competing against each other. They were working together faithfully to build up the church. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do, work faithfully to build up the church, to bring people to know Jesus. It is important to understand that disciples are no longer working independently. I wanted to share that with you, and I shared that with Patty. They're no longer competing with who's going to be sitting at the right and the left hand of Jesus when he enters into his kingdom. They're no longer competing with each other. They're united in service ministry. They're part of the first church, and they were functioning the way the church should function. 
The fact that Peter noticed this lame beggar, when you think about it, you think about it. He, he noticed this lame beggar because the Holy Spirit put it on his heart. The Holy Spirit told him. The Lord told him through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to heal this particular beggar. When you think about it, man, they were, they were, they were probably tons of beggars out there. There were tons of people out there, and the Lord told Peter to heal this one beggar at the entrance gate. There were nine gates that led to the court of the temple throughout all the different areas, and I'm sure that it was, it was full of people laying out there, full of beggars out there begging, tons of people all the way around it trying to get into the temple, and God told uh, John and Peter to pick out this one guy and take care of him. And when you look at history, when you study it, what the Jewish history looks like, it was important to them to help those people. They, it was part of their, their commitment to serve. They, they would always give things to the poor. They would give things. They would help these beggars. They would give them something that they had. And the beggars knew that. It was beneficial for them to be at the temple gates because that's how they survived. And we look at Peter and John had no money to give. I got no silver. I got no gold. I got no money. I got nothing physical that I can give you. Money was not what this man needed. He needed salvation for his soul and healing for his body. And money cannot provide either one of those things. You can't buy salvation. Amen? It's a free gift. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to pay for it. It's a free gift. This beggar was completely healed. That's what it said. Through the power of the name of Jesus Christ, this beggar was completely healed. And here's the thing. It didn't take any time to do it. The Bible says what it was, it was immediate. When you come to know Jesus Christ, when you invite him in, it's a changed life. It is immediate. He's touched you right then. It's an immediate issue. Let me tell you something. When God changes a life, I get excited. You'll get excited. It makes you happy. When he changes life, it makes you happy. It fills you with joy. The Bible says that this man was leaping, praising God, jumping for what he had experienced. And it's easy to see what uh, this illustration shows us. It shows us about salvation. That's what it teaches about salvation. See what it's like. He was born crippled and unable to walk. How are we born? Unable to walk. Man, we're born straight up, unable to walk. We have to go through a lot of struggle to get there. Every person is born unable to walk. Because of the fall of Adam and this lameness he passed down, God passed through Adam. Adam passed down through us all the different issues of sinful nature, and we've inherited every single bit of it. This man was poor, and we're all sinners poor. We're bankrupt before God. We don't have nothing that we could give him. We don't have nothing we could offer him. We're unable to pay the tremendous sin debt that we owe. Christ paid it for us. When you think about this beggar being outside the temple, you look at it a little bit closer. He was close to the temple door, but he wasn't inside. I mean, a lot of people get close to Jesus, but they don't quite get inside. They don't bring him inside. All sinners are separated from God no matter how near the door they might be. When you look at it, this man was healed fully, wholly by the grace of God, and his healing was immediate. There was no need for medication. There was no need for rehab. It was all about immediate healing. His healing was instant because he was saved by grace from God. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not from works, because there's nothing we can do so that no one can boast. And this beggar had evidence of what God has done in his life. He was evidence. It says in the Bible, it was immediately, his ankles were strong, his legs were strong. He started jumping, praising, uh, laughing, carrying on. He was changed. He publicly identified himself to, with the apostles in the temple and in the courtyard. And now you think about it. Now that he could stand on his own two feet, there was no doubt where he stood. Amen. 
And you knew it. You could see it. He was going to tell everybody about it. He went in the temple with them. He came out in the courtyard. They knew who he was because he was a full-grown man. He'd been sitting there day in and day out. They knew what he was. They knew he was a beggar. They knew he was lame. They knew he was crippled. And all of a sudden, this man is walking around dancing and, and, and just singing praises to the Lord. No doubt what his relationship was at. Church, question for you this morning. We're, we're finishing up. And my question is, where do you stand? Where do you stand for the Lord? If God has done a work in your life and you've received him as your personal Lord and Savior, there's only one place to stand. Amen? We've got to stand unified and share the gospel for him. Are we functioning as a church unified the way God wants us to function? Is reaching lost people for Jesus Christ a priority in our church? Or do we have a burden for lost people? Do we have a burden to reach lost people? The purpose of the church is to glorify the Heavenly Father, but the function of the church is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? We want to tell people about him. We want to tell them what he's done in our lives. We want to tell them what he's done for us. We want to tell them what he's done for them. We want people to know. God loves us so much that he loves us, and he desires to have a relationship with us, and he offers heaven as a free gift. It's not something we've earned. We definitely don't deserve it, and we deserve completely the opposite. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the sweetest verse of Scripture in the Bible because God loved us so much. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man is a sinner, man. We can't save ourselves. Nothing we could do could get us to heaven on our own, not by works, not by anything, not by service, not by any other thing but the, the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. Romans 3.23 says, All sin... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin creates a separation between us. If you don't understand what sin is, it's a barrier that, that blocks between us and God. We don't, can't have a relationship. We can't have fellowship with him because of sin. It hinders our relationship and our fellowship with him. We've got to move it out of the way. And because of Jesus Christ, because of God loving us so much, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me and for you so that we could have relationship with him. We can have eternal life. Romans ten thirteen says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your track record is. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It says in the Bible, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. And that's what I want to, when I get up there, man, I want to make sure my name's written in that book. Amen? We don't want to have any doubt about it. When our time on this earth is over, if we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, and eternity is too long to be wrong. Maybe today you're just not quite sure. You know, I've been going to church my whole life. You know, I know I'm going to be there. I, I know who God is. But the thing is, is, have you turned it over to the Lord? Have you made him the Lord of your life? Has there been a time in your life where there's been a change when you invited him to come into your heart and take over, take the reins, because you've been trying to do it on your own all this time? Maybe this is the time to do it today because there's no time like the present. And you don't want to wait. You don't want to put it off. You want to make sure he's the, he's the, he's the Lord of your life. Maybe there's some rededications that need to take place. Maybe uh, you know the Lord, but it hasn't been quite like it should be. You know, the altar's always open. There's a rededication. Just turn it over to him. He says he bring it to him. He casts it as far as the east is from the west. He knows it no more. He'll never bring it back up in your life. It's always going to be gone. The only thing that's going to be bringing it back up is Satan. He'll bring anything up that he can help to destroy you with. But the thing is, is Christ doesn't know it no more. I mean, he's forgiven us for it. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
All you got to do is invite him in. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation.